Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Magnolia Beef and Seminary has top quality beef products that are raised right here in Mississippi. They also have fantastic gifts for every age. For the best beef in Mississippi and so much more, visit Magnolia Beef and Seminary or find us on Facebook. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element wealth studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music as we kick off a brand new week here rhino we made it we have made it indeed anybody seen a balloon running around here lately no but i did see a vigil held for the balloon a vigil <laughs> There was a group of protesters in California, of all places, who'd have thunk it, that they all gathered together to release white balloons. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so, uh, what's the purpose? I mean, are they, what are they mourning? The excitement of having the skies owned by China balloons. I don't know. It's oh, California. Gosh. They have no rhyme or reason for anything, really. So they shot it down off the coast of South Carolina just before it edged into international airspace over the water, in which case the rules that we play by, at least, we would not touch it at that point. So they got it before it got into there. Well, no, I mean, Isn't that right? we could still go get it in international waters. We would just be racing whoever else wanted to go get it. Oh, okay, I got you. Whereas if we make it land in our waters, then it's a little bit hairier for the Chinese to sneak in and hmm. get it back. So it uh, divers are working to retrieve the wreckage, correct? Is that what you understand? Yeah, the uh, military perimeter to keep the Chinese out, because the Chinese want it back, of course. And now they're sending down divers to recover what they can. Well, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, he said in a statement after the balloon was shot down, that President Biden gave his authorization, I'm quoting here, President Biden gave his authorization to take down the surveillance balloon as soon as the mission could be accomplished without undue risk to American lives under the balloon's path. So at one point... Which that seems like a workshopped statement compared to the initial early reporting of Biden's reaction. Because the initial reporting on Biden's reaction to learning that the balloon was over U.S. territory was to shoot it down, and then that he was overruled by General Milley. That's what I heard as well. Because when it was hovering about over Montana, 
Weren't there some reports that suggested the debris field, if they shot it down while over Montana, could extend as much as 400 miles? I think in diameter from the center point of the balloon. The bigger question to me is, how does it get to that point? Assuming it came, since it traversed this country from west to east, assuming it came from the west of our coast, how did it get that far? It should not, it had been detected, and I guess that's a bigger concern. Not so much that we didn't shoot it down, that, geez, if they come back and say, well, we didn't see it, I'm, I'm worried more with all the sophisticated assets we have specifically designed for that purpose. Of course, the Chinese are saying, this is a weather balloon. Isn't that still their official position? I don't think they've yet acknowledged that its purpose was to collect intelligence. Pretty big for a weather balloon. Yeah. Three buses. You've probably seen some reports, if you haven't, folks, want to pass it on, that there are there's a there's a prominent Air Force general, I believe, and I'm not sure if he's still active or not, that is warning against possible military conflict with China in 2025. 2025. Some military experts. But don't worry, Rhino, because, of course, our military is engaged in such things as privilege walks and acknowledging one's privilege and grouping members of our military into tidy little groups, the oppressors and the oppressed. We spend a lot of time doing that, you know. Pay no attention to China, who wants to essentially blow us off the planet I just wonder. Now, also, if you spend any time looking at all that, they have dramatically increased their military readiness, their military assets, like in the last 10 years, substantially. So there's certainly some concerns, says the uh, Representative Michael McCall, Republican from Texas. He's chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee. See, that's the one that Elon Omar has been banished from, right? <laughs> In the House. She's, he says the odds of a conflict with China over Taiwan are very high after this U.S. general released a memo about potential conflict with the Chinese regime in 2025. This was General Mike Minahan. He leads the Air Mobility Command. He sent a letter to leadership saying, quote, my gut tells me we will fight in 2025. Well, that's a comforting thought, isn't it? Conflict with China in 2025? Last time I checked, that's only a couple of years away. McCall, Representative McCall says, I hope he's wrong. I think he's right, though. That's what a sitting member of the U.S. House said last week. I hope he's wrong, but I think he's right. I think we're going to war with China? Wow. Now, 
We should point out this general's views do not represent those of the Pentagon. But there clearly are concerns within the inner circles of our military. Does this not just make the case more, though, that maybe our military ought to focus on defending the nation and less or so on social justice? Because that's what we hear. Most about our military are reports about various social justice efforts. We played here, right, the the commercial that was airing, recruiting uh, folks into the U.S. military. And that commercial, as I recall... cartoon about my two moms. Yeah, that's right. Hey, if you come from a family of same-sex parents, and you yourself are a transgender or confused about your gender, come on in, join up. And we remember, we contrasted that to the famous Army ad, as I recall, of the 80s, which features airborne folks jumping out of airplanes, parachuting down to the earth, and having breakfast around the the camp set up there, 7 a.m. or so in the morning, and and I, I just you can't help but remember the slogan, you know, we do more before you get up in the army here. It's a true story. And the enlisted man toasting his coffee to what's the staff start sergeant, I believe, is there with them. They're sitting around the, the fire. The bottom line is it makes it look like this would be fun. Put on your camos and paint your face, get an airplane, jump out, have breakfast all before 7 a.m. And then maneuvers, probably, various exercises after that. Be all you can be. What happened to that? Maybe we ought to think about that again. I guess that's not politically correct anymore, is it? Hmm. What we should do is eliminate all these three-letter acronym social justice efforts such as DEI and ESG and CSR and all this other stuff. Which, by the way, corporate social responsibility, that's what that stands for. You know, ESG, environmental social governance diversity, equity, inclusion. Maybe we ought to just dispense with all that stuff and focus on merit, performance, excellence. What a novel idea. Is anybody else worried about when a U.S. situation where a sitting U.S. Air Force general says, yeah, I think we're going to be at war in 2025? That's a little unnerving at a minimum. But, if you know, if that gets some folks' attention... And we refocus our military toward their mission, their stated goals and objective, which is to keep the nation intact and above ground on the planet here. I'm for it. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios at 11.05 today. Jeremy England, he's a state senator from District 21, vice chair of the Economic Development Committee. We're coming right back. Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. 
Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio. So those zany legislators back at it again today, right there, Rhino? They're taking up some of at those some bills. At some point today. Yeah, at some point today. I think they usually gavel in later. I mean, it must be nice to be able to show up after lunch on a Monday. <laughs> they gavel in uh, a bit later on Mondays. So we'll see what's up. Oh, by the way, Senator Jeremy England, vice chair of Judd B., apologize for reciting the wrong affiliation from a committee perspective. Apologize to that to the senator. He'll be on the program at 11.05, of course, Super Talk Outdoors with our good friend Ricky Matthews, host of Coast View. That uh, comes your way at 12.05. Today, we are once again in the Element Wealth Studios. I believe all the bills pertaining to Medicaid expansion in the state of Mississippi, there are fifth, there were 15, as I recall. Those are all dead. Dead, dead, dead. The, let's see, postpartum Medicaid. That is Senate Bill 2212, authored by State Senator Kevin Blackwell. Still alive. That, of course, would extend Medicaid coverage up to 12 months postpartum. Presently, Medicaid provides coverage 60 days postpartum. This would extend it. That can be done without full expansion of Medicaid, just that that narrow group there of postpartum maternal care for an additional 10 months is what that bill would do. And that is allowed and coverable, reimbursable by the federal government under federal law. Of course, the state has to pay its portion as well. In Mississippi, that is a fairly small amount based on various estimates I, I call speaking of health care which I think is a huge huge issue not only in Mississippi but in this country and access to care of course but more specifically health care finance and economics continues to be a huge problem and it is my understanding that most of the hospitals, including in Mississippi, are still struggling to maintain adequate staff to uh, provide services in the hospitals. That They've got rooms, but no staff to cover. And that's a, a problem that, that permeates beyond just the hospital environment, but the clinical environment as well. Well, Akata a report that was rather shocking about the number of hospitals who, because they're not able to make their finances work, all upside down, letting go of employees at a rather alarming rate. The Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York, one of the nation's top cancer treatment facilities, just a couple of weeks ago, January 17th, laid off 337 employees. 
They lost $116 million bucks in the third quarter of 22. 8.7 in the same period of 21. And there are just a number of other hospitals. I was just shocked to see how many are shedding employees. I'm, I'm looking at a list of 17, and they're across the country. It's not, and they're urban and rural. So I know in Mississippi we tend to, to focus on the dire financial straits many of the rural hospitals are experiencing in Mississippi, and maybe their situation is more urgent, more acute, and they've got less financial reserves to overcome financial challenges, economic challenges. But it's I'm looking at a cross-section across the country, Ohio, Jacksonville, Florida, California, Oklahoma City, Toledo, Las Vegas, Philadelphia, Kentucky, Illinois, it's just incredible. North Carolina, South Dakota, Cleveland, Ohio. So uh, all of these are reporting that they're bleeding financially, and they're letting people go, which is just shocking when you consider all the reports we hear from healthcare facilities saying we got physical rooms, physical assets, but we don't have people to staff those rooms and to operate those assets. And I'm hearing even stories locally about the number of ORs at various hospitals that are not being used on a daily basis in the metro area because they don't have the people. So it's a big old problem, and my fear is the longer this problem festers and the more acute and pervasive it becomes, it really does give ammunition for proponents of single payer, the so-called Medicare for all, and which would completely replace and eliminate private health insurance. Completely. You would have one option, Medicare, or cash. So is that where we're headed? It's hard to say at this point. But it it does need some attention, and I don't know that just the state writing a check. I think there still is a bill, if I'm not mistaken, Uh, Rhino. I think you are aware of that as well. There's a bill that would simply provide some, some grant funding to hospitals just to improve their financial stability and it's sort of, I guess, rooted in this this premise that they need it because of the challenges they incurred, financial challenges during the pandemic, yet there was a bunch of federal money that came down from Washington to virtually every hospital in the state, if not every. So I think there's um, a bill that would provide what are what are called sustainability grants. Eighty million dollars is the figure that sticks in mind that the Senate bill would allocate. That's not a lot, honestly. There's also a bill that would authorize income tax credits for registered nurses or advanced practice registered nurses. 
after July 1, 2023, that's a credit of 1500 bucks. How much that would help, I don't know. But it's I'm just wondering when I see the list of all these hospitals letting people go, knowing that hospitals in the state, in particular in the metro area, are understaffed, I wonder if they're paying attention to that and saying, hey, we need to get our recruiting folks and our HR people and our placement people in contact with these folks that might be looking for work and might have to move because of their specialty and and lack of employment opportunities in their community. 337 at Sloan Kettering was just astonishing. And I don't think all these are admin people. These are clinical people, healthcare professionals as well. So there's a several bills that have survived the committee deadline in the legislature pertaining to health care, and we just went over a couple of those. And let's see, when's the voting deadline for the floor action? Later this week, right? I believe that is on Thursday of this week. Okay. So we're going to see a lot unfold between now and then. Something else, of course, we've discussed numerous times that we've been tracking here on the program is the uh, the bill that would restrict the route to market for new electric vehicles, something that we have certainly expressed opposition to. Our opinion, of course. Wrote an article to that effect that's been shared and written, or I should say discussed quite a bit. You've had a lot to say on it. You've had many words. I just have two. Bad bill. <laughs> You're right. When we come back, though, Rhino, I, I, I saw that another organization shared my article, and some of the comments to that were a little mind-blowing, to say the least. These were people that I think would describe themselves as free market capitalist conservatives, but not according to their comments. You'll see what we're talking about when we come back in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us. Listening to Middays with Gerard, Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk, Mississippi. Studios, it is middays, and we are launching into a brand new week here. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The market once again. The old kangaroo is hopping around there, Rhino, all over the place. They can't make heads nor tails. Investors, that is, of 
the barrage of data coming at them. You got an unexpected jobs report late last week, more jobs created than expected. You got the Fed announcing its quarter point Fed funds rate hike and giving sort of a mixed message on where they go from here. No, nah, the Fed basically said the beatings will continue until morale improves. <laughs> That's pretty much right. Uh, inflation data, I mean, a little bit of good news there. Inflation seems to at least be stable, not necessarily coming down or reverting, but certainly off its high point back in June. So just a lot of info. Unemployment ticks down to the lowest level since 1969. However, we still have not returned to pre-pandemic employment levels. The president, of course, will address the nation tomorrow. You know he's going to brag about the economy. You've heard Pete Buttigieg. He's uh, <laughs> he's described it as spectacular or some hyperbole like that. He doesn't have a dang clue, of course. And, uh, and uh, Joe Biden is uh, once again taking victory laps on the latest economic news. See if I can find what he said most recently about that. I had it. I thought I had it stored, but maybe I don't. But yeah, he's he's all fired up about it. Yeah, let's see here. Oh, is Rob Reiner <laughs> like the official spokesperson for the president? Five hundred and sixty thousand jobs added. Three point four percent unemployment, the lowest since nineteen sixty nine. President Biden has been our most accomplished and successful president in the past sixty years. So proud to be a supporter. That's what that's what old Rob Reiner says. He is absolutely taking a victory lap there. He's pretty excited about the president. And and so the problem, in my view, is that the, his perspective, talking about the president, is that, look, as long as unemployment is down and jobs are being created, and especially good-paying union manufacturing jobs, those are his primary measuring sticks for the economy doesn't ever talk about inflation except, I let all that oil out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. I sent a bunch of it to China, but notice that the price of gas has come down off its high last summer. I believe it's headed for that high once again this summer. Not taking into account whatsoever that this is just a function of supply and demand. And he has championed policies that are designed to decrease supply because he doesn't want you consuming any of uh, those fossil fuels. It's just so taking victory laps here and applauding yourself for this unemployment rate, what does he mean by that? I mean, what policy specifically did, did he enact, did he implement to do that? The, the president obviously doesn't create jobs. He says... This is President Biden. Wages are up, inflation is down, and more Americans have health insurance than ever before. Workers keep our nation running. It's about time and that our economy works for them. So what he's basically saying is, as he has since the campaign, if you have achieved any level of 
financial success in your life. You haven't worked. The only people that work are those that are at the lower and the middle spectrums of the income scale. You haven't worked, of course, <laughs> if, you, uh, if you achieve any sort of wealth. But let's clarify here. Unless you're the head of a union. Well, that's true. Let's clarify what the president says. Real wages are down. What's real wages? That's the difference between the rate at which inflation has increased the cost of living and the rate that your wages have been increased. That's called real wages. Inflation goes up to 7%. Your wages went up 5%. You're upside down by 2 You got a wage increase of 5%, but your buying power was reduced as a result of inflation. He's left that little detail out. The reason more people are insured is because of the Medicaid continuous enrollment position. That was of the Families First Coronavirus Relief Act signed into law by Donald Trump in March of 2020, the first federal legislation in response to COVID, told the states, you want to get this increase of federal dollars for your Medicaid programs? Okay, you can't kick anybody off once they're ineligible. That has been the situation since March of 2020. That's why, and so some 20 million people in this country got coverage under Medicaid, many of whom are no longer eligible for it, but they can't be disenrolled. Except come April, they can, because that program ends at the end of March. He failed to disclose that fact. And then, of course, there's more people signing up for coverage in the exchanges because the Inflation Reduction Act changed the the premium subsidy structure such that a lot more people now can get their coverage. It's lower cost. They're getting more assistance, financial assistance from the federal government. And he's unnecessarily extended the public health emergency numerous times, I think 11, if I'm not mistaken, since he's been in office, because they love that power that they gain during the PHE. And there's no doubt about that. But that's coming to an end. He fails to talk about that. This guy's never made a payroll in his life. (laughs) Ever. He has lived off the taxpayers. He's leached off the federal government. And And according to Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden. That's right. He and Hunter enriched themselves through their peddling of influence because wasn't it Hunter that was complaining to his other family members that Pops takes half what he makes? Exactly. The big guy. <laughs> All right, so back to this bill that would ban the direct sale from a ma- of an electric, electric vehicle from a manufacturer directly to a consumer, a buyer, in the state of Mississippi. And in fact, would also disallow a manufacturer from selling their vehicles, new vehicles now, through a brick-and-mortar outlet storefront that the manufacturer owns. Only The only route available to Mississippians, if this bill passes, to purchase a new vehicle 
would be through an independently owned dealership, brick-and-mortar store, inside the state's boundary. The government is essentially controlling the route to market. So it, this this article I wrote, I hope you folks uh, took a little time to, to read it. it. It clarifies what this is all about. And, of course, I offer my opinion on why this is not good policy for the state of Mississippi and really flies in the face of free market economics. It's government social planning. Central planning, pardon me. Central planning, socialism. So the article got shared, uh, of course, on our Super Talk site. That's where we published it. That uh, got tons of views. And also out in social media. And then some other organizations picked up on it as well, including Americans for Prosperity, which has an office here in Mississippi. The folks have been on the program before. And so an individual weighed in, commented, said Mississippi lawmakers that oppose this need to get out of the way of progress in free markets. And this is what somebody said in response. Listen up. said, well, it's not a free market when our government is purposely doing away with oil and at the same time providing subsidies to manufacturers to produce EVs. Our government is making an artificial market by controlling the manufacturing cost of oil. If the EV subsidies were done away with, the U.S. went back to... more. So what's missing in all that response is, this ain't about EVs. It could be, as I've said before on the program, potato chips. It doesn't really matter. It's about the route to market and government dictating to the people of the state, this is how you will buy a an electric vehicle if you choose to do so. You don't have to. Nobody's requiring them to do so. Nobody's forcing that, but they are forcing, when you get ready to do so, the route and the mechanism by which you will make that purchase. Coming right back. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi. So, back to this EV bill. And we got Senator England coming on after the break. And, and he has been outspoken in opposition of the legislation. So, we'll discuss that with him. But so, another person weighs in on this uh, on post that shared my article says, and goes into this long discussion about all the the downside, the liabilities, the negative aspects of EVs. This isn't about EVs. It's about the route to market. I I just, what am I missing here? I must not be doing a good enough job of discerning the difference. It's not The product is irrelevant. It's about the way in which it is sold and consumed, the route to market. I can't use that phrase more. Because it's that's what's at play here. That's the issue. 
It's, do you want to buy your soap powder from the Walmart, or do you just want to order it from Amazon? That's the route to market of the same product. I personally think more choices, more routes, more sources is good. That's the free market at work. Let them compete. When government steps in and limits that, that's fewer choices for consumers and generally means higher costs. That's what this is about. It's not a debate about the positives and negatives of electric vehicles. That's just irrelevant in the discussion. So I hope hope folks get that. And I, I understand all the concerns with EVs. I share many of those concerns. No, somebody said, no, we can't let them come to Mississippi. They'll overload the power grid and we'll all be without power. I just missed a point totally here. Oh, gosh. Unless they're somehow convinced by the conspiracy theorists and the tinfoil hat brigade that this is all a ploy by the global elites to control you whether or not you can travel. Because if they force an electric vehicle on everybody, then they can just input the shutdown code and you can't go anywhere. Yeah, I've heard that too. And there are, I think, some laws, if I'm not mistaken, Rhino, going into effect in about three years that are going to require all vehicles to be equipped with some sort of measurement devices to determine if you're fit to drive a vehicle, like if you're inebriated, intoxicated in any way. I mean, there's already kill switches installed in internal combustion engine vehicles right now where if you don't make the payment, they don't bother repoing it. They just shut your car down. I haven't heard that. Oh, yeah. Wow. So who does that? The lender? The manufacturers put it in, and then the lenders turn it on. I didn't know that. Do you have any uh, knowledge of that being utilized? Uh, It's become pretty popular in California. They just shut you down. Oh, yeah. You miss a payment, they send you a notice. You miss a second payment, your car won't start. Wow. Well, there's a side of me that says that's a little intrusive. On the other side, well, just pay your bill. And I, I get it. Somebody owes you money and they're not paying. Yeah. I mean, if that's pretty common if you think about a, a, a number of other services. Subscription services come to mind that if you don't pay your bill, you're delinquent in arrears. They just quit doing the service. Hey, that situation in my business with our, our cloud services and our managed services is typically monthly billing and it was pretty spelled out in our contract, very clear. You get behind a certain at a certain level. Of course, we're just so dang nice, we rarely, if ever, invoke that. We just try to work it out. But I get it when you're dealing with consumers. I mean, our customers were generally giant enterprises, and usually it was just a, an administrative snafu that you had to work through. But, yeah, it's not fair that you're – providing some product or service and you're not getting paid for it. Now, when it gets that gets abused and extends to, well, I'm shutting your vehicle down because of your political beliefs, I think that's where a lot of people, understandably so, have concerns. I certainly get that. 
Mose had something on here I wanted to address. He says, under the government-controlled single-payer system the Obama administration wanted, cash payments would have been illegal. All medical billing had to go through the system. Yeah, actually, you know, Mose, they gave up on that early on, and so both bills that were considered when Obama first became president, H.R. 3200, was by far the most egregious. It was so bad and and, and so uh, onerous that even Harry Reid wouldn't put it on the floor in the U.S. Senate, and he's pretty far left. Uh, so they gave up on that idea, and what we ended up with was the Affordable Care Act. We'll get into that a little bit more. He says, I believe the government would set pay for medical personnel, and therefore less people go into medicine. That was really never part of it, Mose. But, yeah, I think there is a lot of desire for them to do that. We're coming right back after the news with Senator Jeremy England. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines. And join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Back every, welcome back, everyone. Middays in the Element Well Studios, Super Talk Mississippi. We've got Senator Jeremy England. He represents District 51, serves as the vice chair of Judd B., correct? That's correct, Jordan. And you're on some other committees as well, of course. As oh, most yeah. Of you guys are. Every busy committee the lieutenant governor put me on. So I'm running <laughs> gotcha. last week and during uh, deadline committee deadline day. I was, I was up and down the stairs. I got you. All right. Well, what do you think so far? You know, I think we're off to a good start. Um, you know, we passed our qualifying deadline. I think there were a lot of people looking to see who was going to have someone running against them last week. Uh, we got through our committee deadline, and, and we've killed a lot of bills that need to be killed, but there's still some out there that uh, that need it, need that treatment. Um, and, of course, that's what the system's designed to do is to, you know, we get 4,000 or so bills every year, and, and we get it down to, you know, between two and 300. So uh, process is working. We're rolling. Yeah, and this weekend, uh, this week, right? We got a deadline. We do, yes. Thursday? I believe it's Thursday. We've got uh, we've got to get through our calendar on the Senate floor. Of course, we don't bring up a bill and don't vote on it. Dies on the calendar. Yeah. Uh, the other bills that get brought up are um, are subject to vote. So we had a we had a bill down on the floor last week, um, and so just just the fact they get called up doesn't mean that they're going to uh, make it through the vote. Got you. Mm-hmm. Anything in particular that uh, has caught your eye that you're focused on? Yeah. Well, I know you were mentioning the uh, the EV bill before, but we've got several things. You know, we've got some uh, some good law enforcement bills uh, that are coming through. Uh, we did get off the floor my uh, public fund defender registry last week, which uh, now goes to the House. It made it to the governor's desk last year and was vetoed with some House language that was put in it. But the, the registry will require anyone that's stolen public funds from any government entity in the state to be put on this registry and stay on that registry until they pay their money back uh, to the taxpayers. And so folks that, that have proved themselves not to be trustworthy with that, I think they need to pay it back. We're going to keep up with them, and they can't go to work 
uh, in any treasury or accounting or, or uh, registrar's office until they do that. Because that's been happening, has it not? Where it, folks are, are um, I guess, convicted of these embezzlement crimes, and then they land somewhere else. That's right. It has. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's so easy to move from one point to another, especially when, you know, if you're in a school district in Jackson County to move to, uh, you know, you move to Warren County or you move up to Lauderdale County or something like that, you can jump right in there and, and, and perhaps do that. And it's not just taxpayers, rate payers. You know, any anytime the public is given money for a utility or for any sort of uh, government entity, then, then, you know, we've got to hold those people accountable. Yeah. And so would the standard on that be, Senator, that the state auditor has found the infraction they've gone through the legal process and and they've been they've been charged convicted is that's that, right. Yeah, that's right. So they've been convicted, or if they go through non adjudication, you know, this okay. is so. So we still catch these people even okay. through non adjudication like that. And and uh, I, I kind of moved some things around in the bill a little bit this year to make our intent clear that you do not come off of this list if you uh, have not paid back the money that you stole plus any any retribution that you owe uh, for your crimes and penalties. Okay, um, so even if you settled without going through the court process and court proceedings and, and therefore were not convicted, mm-hmm. you settled, but you agreed to repay. Or maybe you didn't agree to repay. You could do, settle that way. But if you haven't, you still couldn't serve. That's right. You're on the list until you pay back what you stole and what you owe. Um, whether you want to or not or whether that was part of the decree, that's right. you got to pay us back before you can work somewhere else. That's right. And I built in an incentive. You can you can you stay on the list for at least five years for, okay. from the time that you, you're convicted or, or from the time you get out of uh, prison if you go to prison for what you've done. Um, but if you pay back your money, you can petition to come off of the, the registry. Uh, you know, I did that because, look, we want these people paying their money back. Um, first and foremost, you steal from the, the taxpayers or your rate payers. You know, get that money back into the coffers and let us let us put it to work. I mean, it's costing everybody when people steal from us. And nobody likes a thief. I mean, that's one of the worst things out there. Yeah. I know something else that, that you've worked on in the past that, once again, I believe, did not make it, and that is a bill – that would allow state-level officials, elected officials, to be recalled. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's right. So this was my fourth year to drop that. And and surprisingly enough, when I came up my first year in 2020, this was a big push from one of my local municipalities. They had an issue with, with one of their uh, – as the mayor there had lost the trust of the people, and they wanted a way to recall him. And so they didn't have it, so I brought it up here. But I didn't want to just do that for municipal and county-level officials. I just – I don't think it's – um, the right thing for us to do to sit here in Jackson and and not put ourselves sure. up for subject to recall. Now it gets more expensive at that level, and that was a concern, you know, especially a statewide type deal. Um, but look, if you lose the trust of the people that, that that have elected you, and you know, through various reasons, that can become very uh, very important. You know, you can't get anything done. You can't get any support within you know from the state or within your own county or, or attract businesses or, or or you know develop your community if you do that. And so you know, it's a it's a, it's a built in level of accountability. Um, and it died in committee last week. Uh, I mentioned to you before we went on about how I was running back and forth on the uh, the stairs um, <laughs> last week, just just getting from one committee meeting to another one. And We'd have different ones um, coming up, but I, I lost that narrowly. But I think folks are starting to lean that way, and we'll—I'll drop it again uh, if, the, if the people send me back up here next year. I'll—I'll uh, I'll drop it again and work it next year. Have, have you discussed that matter with your constituents? What sort of feedback do you get from them? I, I think that generally the public likes the idea. You know, they like the idea of holding us accountable up here and having that over our head. Now, one of the concerns of 
of a few of the of the, the my my fellow legislators that I work with in the chamber, uh, they didn't want any sour feelings getting in the way. You know, you lose an election is a tough fought election. Look, I won by thirty eight votes uh, when I came up here, and that was an example they used. Um, but I built in kind of a time frame. You've got to have, let somebody you know have. I can't remember if it was 18 months or, or whatnot in, in office before you initiate the recall. So you've got to give them a time. You know, it gives, gives people time to cool down after a, a big election. Um, and they wanted to see a higher level of, of a percentage of, of voters that have to sign on to have that. Because in a smaller election, you know, if you have 35 percent of your uh, – of the, and I put it as the people that are, that are elected, that can be a small number in some of these municipalities. So, so we need to work on it a little bit. Um, but I didn't want to make it such a high standard that we can just, you know, say we put it on the books and not worry about it. That's not – I don't like passing legislation that doesn't do anything essentially. Seems like uh, reasonable – that's right. Uh, I think a guardrail there that uh, would prevent the so-called sour grapes immediately after an election. But if the, I, I think if the criteria, the requirements were such to to get such a a recall on the ballot, you got to have a fairly high threshold uh, for that um, because you've got to, I think, see how serious the people are so that you've got to collect a certain number of signatures, and that costs money. So somebody's going to have to hit the hip to get this on the ballot. That's right, and you still have to get out and campaign for it. You know, you have to yeah. campaign for the recall, and then the, the first the first election that you you you're up against is a yes or no vote. You yeah. know, do you are, do you believe this person has lost the trust of the uh, of the citizenry and and should be recalled? And and so once you get done with that, then you're you're out of office. But uh, and 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 there was a process for a I think a jungle primary to come in after that. Um, it, it, unless you've got unless you're so close to the the end of a, a term, that's another another uh, part that was built into this you know if we're if we're at the last six months or so of a of a of an elected official's term just wait and vote them out at the end let's yeah. not cost the, the taxpayers uh money or, or um, you know yeah. make them go through that makes sense quickly right and most of them it seems across the nation where where that's rather prevalent and, and used rather frequently generally fail Right. Uh, where we've seen, I would say, in the last two years that that they have succeeded is in school boards at the local level. Of course, That's the right. bar is a lot easier to recall a school board member representing a school board district. And usually that's because a lot of parents have been to these school board meetings. Parents don't go to the legislature and watch what you guys do. But they right. do with their kids are involved at these school board meetings. And so that I think that gets a lot more attention, a lot more focus. And we have seen quite a bit of that across the country. That's right. And, look, I had a I had the, the Moss Point um, Mayor's Youth Council up, um, I guess it was a month ago, where they, they were up visiting. And I, I took some time to talk with them. And they wanted to know, you know, well, how can we get involved? What do we need to do? And, and I told them, look, you don't have to sit in the Senate chamber to get involved. You can run for your local school board and right. get involved. Because that's what they were talking about was how funding they, – they were concerned about how funding was being spent. And, and look, talking to – I get my toughest questions from high school students, it seems like, when they come up here. Because they're, they're, they're you know, they're coming in. They're stepping into whatever mess we might be making. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so I told them, I said, look, run for your school boards. Don't, don't forget about that level because about you can that. make a huge difference doing that and they were they were surprised to find out about it. it's not something they had thought about but um i think i think more of them are starting to look into it well i think more so today we got a break coming up but more so today because the, the pandemic really did lay bare 
to a lot of what's going on in our schools because the kids were at home. Their parents would walk by and say, what the heck's going on the screen there? And they got their eyes opened. Right. Maybe this sort of stuff that's going on in the classrooms isn't appropriate. And that's what, I think, energized a lot of people across the country to get involved at that level. But you're so right, Senator, that school boards have become more critical, more pivotal in our governing than I think ever before. Absolutely. And it's, and it's our future. It's That's our right. kids. It's where we need to be careful. We've got Senator Jeremy England in the Element Well Studios. We're coming right back. we got to talk about the vehicle, Bill. Absolutely. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's do it. Stevie Wonder tune. That may apply to the balloon, don't you think, Rhino? <laughs> How crazy is all that stuff? We've got Senator Jeremy England uh, joining us here in the Element Well studios. So, of, of course, uh, got to talk to you about, uh, I guess, maybe my least favorite bill of all time in the legislature, and that is one which would restrict the sale of new electric vehicles in the state to only those independently owned dealers with brick-and-mortar physical locations within the state's borders would not permit a manufacturer of electric vehicles to sell those directly to a consumer or a manufacturer of electric vehicles to sell those through a manufacturer-owned outlet, Mm -hmm. a physical outlet, which would be located in the state. It just seems to me like this is... uh, clearly uh, antithetical to free markets and and letting the, the consumers decide what they believe is their best route to make such purchases. A little surprised that the traction this has gotten past the House by mm-hmm. an overwhelming margin. I believe it is possibly going to be taken up in the Senate today, passed out of committee. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so it did pass out of committee. And, and look, policy-wise, I think I agree with you. I don't know that there's been many – Bills that have come out of our uh, legislature and made it to the governor's desk that are, that that is such a bad policy for us to be setting. It, it's it's textbook protectionism, really, is what it is. And and like you say, you take the uh, you know take the ability to purchase a certain product out of the consumer's hands from the way they want to do it, and you you, you prevent a manufacturer from uh, from selling um, their product under a new sales model. You know, and, and that's what we hear. That's what the um, what the proponents of the bill are saying is, look, we want we want these new EV manufacturers to abide by the same rules that we've abided by for 50 years. And I think it actually goes back to even 70 years. Um, but that's just surprising because so much has changed since then. Um, and, and, you know, I was thinking the other morning about this idea that, you know, we want somebody to do the same that we've done for 50 years. Well, then we're currently telling our hospitals, you know, look, the way health care is being delivered is changing. So you've got to look at that and maybe change your model where at the same time we're telling, you know, car manufacturers, no, 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 don't change your model. Come in and do it the same old-fashioned way that we've always done it. And it just doesn't make 
sense to me that we're doing that. Yeah, my hat's off to the auto industry for being able to sustain that for 50 years. I, I can't, in my business, I can't comprehend that. It like changes every hour, mm-hmm. uh, the routes to market, and you have to navigate those treacherous waters and, and figure out what your value proposition is to the market, or you just perish is what happens, because you're not efficient. You're not the, the preferred method right. uh, from the consumer. Which in my career's case were large enterprises that consume what we did, not individual single transaction right. uh, consumers, and that that has. So I, I just have to say that I don't have a lot of sympathy there because I dealt with this personally. Mm-hmm. I, I shed tears over it. I lost sleep over it. I stressed out over it for an entire career, and uh, you know we figured out, and that's that's the market. The market forces you to get better. To figure it out, to fully define your go-to-market strategy and adapt and adopt and your value proposition, or you get punished by the market. And what we're seeing right now with respect to electric vehicles, we're just getting started. I mean, they're in their infancy. They're major, powerful, well-funded corporations such as Apple. They're only the most valuable company on the planet that is uh, going to be selling electric vehicles in two or three years, and they're going to do it directly. Right. So I don't think it's in our best interest to say, no, Apple, you can't do business in Mississippi. And then Apple says, well, you know, we need to build these things somewhere. We're going to build factories. Well, Mississippi, you're not in the running because you're not kind to our sales model. And that's an excellent point. That's the point that I've been making to my colleagues in the Senate. You know, you've got – You've got states that are so-called open states, which Mississippi is now. We, based on an attorney general opinion in our current statute, these manufacturers can come in and set up, uh, you know, wholly owned subsidiaries and and set up showrooms. And you're not going to see them have a big car lot. What they're going to do is offer you to come in and, and test drive it uh, and do that. But maybe, they're maybe, not all maybe they do don't that. have to. Yeah. yeah. And 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 look, we wouldn't, we shouldn't tell them they have to do that, of right? Course. And and so. You know, we're an open state. You've got other open states around. Alabama, on the other hand, is a closed state. So you know very well that when we're trying to attract people to Mississippi, and I sit on the Economic Workforce Development Committee, so I know this very well, that a lot of times it's a very small thing that will will either land you a big company coming to your state or, or, or cause them to go somewhere else. This is an evolving market. They had a $3.6 billion battery industry just move in and invest in Nevada. Nevada's an open state. Um, you've got other states um, looking to open up to attract that kind of thing. And we're – last year – I don't know if this is true this year. I imagine it is. We were the only ones looking to close our state down to right. this. And, and look, if it's the little thing that's going to keep us from getting these things, we, we don't need to step step backwards. We, we need to attract these jobs, attract these industries. And look, we're not – like, I like what you said before we came on the air um, uh, earlier. I was listening to you on my drive here um, that this isn't about electronic vehicles. I, I don't have an electronic vehicle. I I, I say electronic. I need to say electric. I got got in trouble for saying electronic vehicles. The other, the little RV cars, electric vehicles. Um, just to, to tell you how how I guess I'm not up to the the terminology. But I have a, a gas driven vehicle. I probably will, will have one until the prices come down. But the prices aren't going to come down until we start allowing them to hit the market and and do things. The same thing with microwaves and TVs and that's right. You know, we saw that the, the whole time. Um, and now you can go buy a TV at Walmart for two hundred dollars. It used to cost two thousand dollars. Right. You know, and, and, and you go so, to the TV shop to buy them too. That's right. And now you buy them then, at blister packs at Walmart. 
Right. And, and even then, you don't have uh, you won't have people jumping in with electric vehicles. They just maybe sure. not won't trust them, won't like them. Uh, maybe they'll have one for their wife and, and a gas vehicle for their uh, for sure. the husband or, or vice versa. I know my wife would be the gas. Uh, she likes big <laughs> trucks, so she'll want the gas vehicle. But, you, you know. We shouldn't take that option away. It's not about what it is. We, we didn't do this when, when uh, you know, when media was starting to be delivered online. Yeah. We didn't. We didn't jump in and save our printing presses, you know, because of it. We didn't say, uh, you know, when when um, Netflix and everybody jumped around. We Streaming didn't say services right. versus traditional cable, which are franchised in the states. That's right. right. And we didn't say How about uh, Amazon. That's probably Amazon. the most prevalent case. Should right. we tell them, nope, can't sell direct here. You got to go to the local store and buy it. That's right. And look, these big st- the states that have electric vehicles currently, uh, oddly enough, also have franchise dealers, right? So yeah. we're not telling them they've got to. Th- those states aren't saying you've got to use this model. Well, they're also not running off the other model. You know, well, that's up to the manufacturer, and up to the up to the consumer, essentially, and up to the, the manufacturer. To every major automobile manufacturer on the planet is investing billions upon billions. And transitioning is just a fact to electric vehicles. Look no further than the Nissan plant a few miles north of our point. What did we right. agree to work with them last year on? $500 million bucks, I believe, right? That's right. So, And I guarantee you, it's, it's not a secret, they're looking at how do we deal with this disruption? All these folks that have these legacy models in place where they have these franchised-owned dealerships, they're all looking for how are we going to compete with the newcomers in our market that are going to sell direct. They're, they're trying to figure this out as well. The state should stay out of that and let the market sort it out. Absolutely. We shouldn't step in. We shouldn't protect any industry. We should let the consumers and the, and the market work that out. Um, now, we've got – I learned just this last week that, that Tesla may be looking to come to the Mississippi Gulf Coast currently. We're an open state. They don't have, they, they don't have a, a facility between Pensacola and Houston. Right. And there's a huge market in between there that could be driving people there. And, and when one, if a Tesla dealership opens up there on the, on, on the I-10 corridor where we would love to have it, uh, you know, you're going to have a lot of different things pop up around it. And this would be you're a showroom to- and service center ser- similar to what exists presently in Rankin County. So the, the model correct. of going to the lot and picking one out, your favorite color from a sea of models, those days are over. And, and in fact, more Many of the traditional dealers have converted to that when they realize that works pretty good from the pandemic. You've heard numerous accounts of folks saying, yeah, I bought, I had to pay over sticker mm-hmm. because they're not motivated to get those things off the lot. I just ordered one myself, right. as a matter of fact. Six yeah. months, likely, uh, right. before I get it. And, uh, you know, that's just the market. That's fine. I accept that. That's right. And, and you know, it used to, the, the, the big gripe used to be that if you buy one of these electric vehicles, you know, are you going to send it to Oklahoma or wherever to get it worked on? Well, you know what? The market's going to correct that, too. And it already has started to correct that. We're starting to see more service centers, which are going to bring high-paying jobs to our areas. You're going to have, you know, the, the, another thing I'm, I'm pushing in our uh, – this legislative session, last legislative session is a career coaching uh, right. system that we have in high schools. Well, we can get mechanics. You know, if you get a mechanic through your house and say, look, you like electronics and you like mechanics, you know, the electric vehicle market is one you need to look into. And and we want jobs here for them to be able to do that. And we Absolutely. want people coming in from out of the state to do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. 
appreciate it. Keep working on it. We'll see what happens and and let the chips fall where they may. But uh, I think I think this is really not in the state's best interest. And I hope that's given some serious consideration before it's enacted into law. Thank you, Gerard. I hope this is one of the bills we kill. Uh, for I agree. Sure. Appreciate it, Jeremy. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. Thank you very much, Gerard. Senator Jeremy England has been our guest on Middays. We're coming right back. Stay with us. Mississippi. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Well, you know you make me want to kick my heels up and down. of tech companies shedding some of their workforce continues to grow. This morning, Dell announced it will cut 5% of its workforce. Said market conditions continue to erode. I mean, we've seen a wave of layoffs here from the tech industry. 6,600 jobs. They have 133,000 employed. Jeff Clark, Dell's co-chief operating officer, stated market conditions continue to erode with an uncertain future. So the company had already paused hiring. So these growth companies, they're typically the first. uh, Because often they have hired anticipating continued strong growth, and then when that, the feeling is that is going to wane, they get ahead of that, and start letting people go. I think the only one of the big guys that I can think of that has not yet announced any layoffs is Apple. Though they did come in with uh, a, a, a bit of a tepid earnings report last week, and their guidance was not terribly rosy. You had them, Amazon... Alphabet, that's also that's the parent company of Google, Meta. Meta actually gave a little bit, that's Facebook's parent, a little better outlook. But I think they've all missed earnings expectations, all of which reported last week. More on tap this week. But have no fear, because tomorrow night, President Joe Biden will deliver his State of the Union address, and he's going to tell you how great everything is. Think McCarthy will rip up his speech? Oh yeah, <laughs> sit back there like Nancy did. That's you know I never thought about that, but it's been a while, I guess, since we've seen the flip like this, right? Because we had Nancy Pelosi, Democrat, sitting in that chair last year. It was delivered later in the year, as I recall. We kept waiting when they're going to do a speech, a State of the Union. Seems like it. It lagged. This year, old Joe's all over it. And he will go to the tube tomorrow night and tell us what it's all about. What do you think he's likely to say? I've sort of thought through that. 
what I think he made Talus. He's going to talk, talk, talk about the debt limit, and he'll say the Congress just cannot attach any strings to the increase of the debt limit. We've done this 78 times. We just got to get on with it. We can't risk the country's uh, financial status. Let's just go ahead and get this done. Even though he met with Speaker McCarthy last week, he says we need a, a, a does Biden, we need a, a clean, as he calls it, clean debt ceiling hike. He'll talk about reforming the police. He's going to talk about Ukraine, of course. And then the big kahuna would be the economy. He will absolutely tout the 517,000 jobs added in January and how wonderful that is. He won't say a word about inflation except that A, he doesn't take any blame for it, and B, he's passed laws through the Inflation Reduction Act to essentially force and fix pricing, mainly the cost of insulin and prescription drugs. That's what he'll focus on. Nothing about what truly is inflation, but rather the price fixing that he has enacted that will bring the cost down. But a lot of folks are not aware that we got to wait till all that takes effect. He may talk about the classified document scandal, but I doubt it. I really don't think he'll go there. Immigration, and he'll, of course, not pay any mind or acknowledge that there is a problem at the border. Rather, he'll call for so-called immigration reform, which starts with putting in place a an immediate path to citizenship for all those that have crossed our borders illegally and are residing in this country. Back to what Mose said, I just wanted to follow up on that. It's a great point you make, Mose, because I do think that the Holy Grail is the so-called Medicare for all single-payer system of health care as opposed to the convoluted and uh, multi-payer system that currently exists when you when you consider Medicare, Medicaid, Tricare, which is for members of the military, and then a wide variety of private insurers that sell health care coverage across the nation. And then there's the group market, which is insurance you get from your employer. That's the, the typical, most common way that people get private insurance through their employer at work. And then there's the individual market, which are for those who don't get their insurance from their employer or are self-employed, and they get theirs through the individual market, either directly from an insurer or a broker or even through the Affordable Care Act exchanges. But none of that really addresses, and most points that out, the, the shortage or access, the shortage of staff and the pressure on availability of care, where it seems that demand exceeds supply. We keep, as I've said many times before, we keep inventing new treatments, new new drugs, new procedures. That's all great. Technology, of course, driving that. We all as humans, we want that. If it makes us healthier, cures disease, 
allows us to live longer, but it costs money. And that's the fundamental problem. Reese Clarksdale says, when a lot of car owners in California discover how upside down they are on recently purchased vehicles, there will be a lot of shut down vehicles. Could be, uh, back to Rhino's point about this kill switch that evidently exists in these vehicles, I'm sure that only for those manufactured after a certain point, right? I mean, that's not, hadn't been around too long, has it? I don't know. I'm fairly certain they can be installed on any vehicle because we've had several people chime in on the text line that it's uh, used predominantly used car lots. Ah, okay. Where they're doing the financing. Correct. A lot of the car lots themselves are carrying the paper, as it is referred to. That makes sense. Probably more so than traditional new vehicle, which are either financed through the the finance arms of the manufacturer or uh, a more conventional bank loan financial institution. I guess the next step, Dan in Hattiesburg says to Rhino, would be if one of those vehicles were autonomous, it could drive itself back to the dealer or lender. I like that. In that same vein, I have seen some some articles of, it's not auto self-auto or self-driving vehicles. I don't think those are quite there yet, especially considering the video that went around what was it last year of the Tesla driving into a private jet while it was being told to come to yeah. the driver? Yeah causing all kinds of damage that I would not want to even look at the bill for. But there have been several reports of rental cars where someone goes, say, to the airport, gets a rental car, has it for like a week in their rental agreement, and then two or three days into them having it, the tow truck shows up and grabs it. And they're thinking, what What did I do? Did some, no, it's just the rental company didn't actually check it back in. So that when they sent it back out and they didn't find it on the lot the next day, they reported it stolen. Unbelievable. So i got to tell you, I'm learning something here that I didn't know. And I, our, our audience, of course, as you know, is, is uh, composed of a bunch of smart folks. So on the C Spire text line, 100% true. Most all used car lots have it right here in Mississippi. Tote the note lots have been using the disabled GPS modules for a while now. Miss your note, and they shut it down. Make your payment, and they give you an unlock code. How about that? Like I said, it's just cheaper than paying a repo man. Well, sure. Because the repo man has to get paid for his services and has to take the time and energy to find you. Yeah, so Thomas and Greenwood sent us a a photo. We just plug it into the, the ECM. Won't run without it. Plugged in, too. How about that? So the ECM, that's the little slot in the vehicle. The diagnostic yeah, the, the, computer you put, slot. Put the little diagnostic device in it, and it collects data, tells you how you do it. I just had that done on my vehicle Friday when I left here. I had the driver assist system not working message, and I took it by, and, of course, they plugged it in. Of course, it won't do it there, right? It's pretty cool. Any vehicle that has OnStar has tracking and a kill switch, says Mose. Didn't know that. I mean, it. Oh, yeah, you know what, Moe's, that's right. I was aware of that, but I thought that was more for the purpose of if a vehicle is stolen. And you or as a safety it. precaution. Right, as a safety precaution. If you, precaution. Have, a, if you have an accident, OnStar chimes in and goes, are you okay? And yeah, then they that's can kill right. the car for you. And they can detect if the airbag has been deployed, right? But but as far as OnStar doing that, if you hadn't paid GMAC, I don't know. They do that. Uh, no, would, you don't pay your own star bill. They just turn off your own star. Well, I know that works, but how about the? <laughs> I've seen, yeah, I'm aware of that. We're coming right back. Stay with us. 
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. Shake an apple off an apple tree. Shake a shake of sugar, but you'll never shake me. Uh, uh, uh. No serving. I'm gonna stick like glue. We are back in the Element stick Well Studios. It's midday, Super Talk, Mississippi. I'm gonna run my fingers through your long black hair. Former Vice President Mike Pence who is thought by many to be a candidate for president, says we got to have a conversation about reforming Social Security. Security. I'm with him. I, I respect him for saying that, because you get excoriated at the even mention of it. The Democrats say, the Republicans want to cut your Social Security. I mean, they just it's like a refrain on a... On a replay switch, and instead of, no, we need to have a serious conversation because it's going broke. i tell you something else we got to have a conversation about is PERS in the state of Mississippi. Just like virtually every other defined benefit, public sector benefit program in this country, it too is facing the reality of financial instability. And it that needs to be discussed, and it and I know I do know there have been some hearings down at the legislature uh, this session regarding that, and and once again with respect to these defined benefit programs, it's real simple. You either got to get more money coming in, or less going out, or a combination of of the two. It really is A B, A and C. That's that's the answer in a multiple choice format question. We are uh, going to talk some more about that later on in the week as well. Also, want to let folks know we've got State Senator Chris McDaniel coming on the program tomorrow at twelve oh five. You know by now that he is qualified to run uh, as a Republican for Lieutenant Governor. He'll be challenging the current Lieutenant Governor, Delbert Hoseman. So we look forward to having State Senator McDaniel on the program tomorrow. That should be a very interesting interview. Please tune in for that. Some financial institutions put GPS with a kill switch based on your credit score. Wow. That's on the ceasefire tax line, which, by the way, 601-879-4395. There was a Republican, says Mose, a few years ago that wanted law enforcement to have access to all the manufacturer's software to shut down cars in a pursuit. I tend to seem to remember that. Yeah. Andy and Jackson says, be assured there's a YouTube video that shows you how to disable the device. Everything's on YouTube, isn't it, Andy? Including some less than factual historical documentaries. But they're sold like it's just like You're History right. Channel and it's good as the gospel. Although, I mean, History <laughs> Channel, come on. Aliens and pyramids. <laughs> Neil from Pontotoc extends his gratitude to me because he knows I'm going to be tuned in to Joe's speech tomorrow night. 
Sure glad you're taking one for the team. I just hope I can keep my blood pressure down, because I normally get pretty fired up when they just lie to the country. And we'll fact-check all the lies like we did after his economic speech last week, which was just replete with falsehoods, as it always is. And then Robert Rush, as Rush used to say, he also tweets the same lies, nonsense, with respect to economic matters and policy. <laughs> Thomas and Greenwood wants to know if I'm going to ask Senator McDaniel about his vote, he says his yay vote, on the legislative pay raise bill last year. Did he vote yay? There was, I know there was a lot of controversy about how he actually voted. I'm fairly certain on the official vote tally he's a yay, but then he came out and claimed that he wasn't even there. That's that's I seem to remember the same. But if you're not there, you can't vote yay. Right. So it's a little be confusing. Not present. We might certainly might ask for an explanation there. Did y'all fact check Tate's state of the state? I missed it. If so. Oh jeez. I don't know, in in reading the state of the state, I don't know that there was a lot of data to be fact-checked because the governor spent a lot less time, in my view, just looking at the the transcript of the speech. First, it's not nearly as lengthy as the president's speech. Secondly, he spent a lot less time in his speech discussing all of his accomplishments and more time talking about policy, his policy agenda and his vision for the state as governor, whereas this president is going to focus more on, I believe, all the great things he's brought these United States. However, the polls don't seem to reflect that, and more and more Democrats are saying, we don't want that guy running again. In fact, he's upside down in every one of those polls as far as his favorability in the minds of people. With respect to running for president again for re election. But we're out of time here today. It's Ricky Matthews, Super Talk Outdoors next. Once again, back in the Element Well Studios tomorrow, Senator Chris McDaniel on at 12.05. Stay safe. God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.